Welcome to Homeschool Your Way, the upbeat, open-minded podcast that informs and affirms your choices about your kids' education. We'll provide a buffet of ideas to inspire you to homeschool your way, because your way is the best way. All of the content on the Homeschool Your Way podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical or legal advice. The views expressed by the hosts or guests of the show are not necessarily endorsed by Bookshark. Welcome to Homeschool Your Way. I'm your host, Jana Cook, and Bookshark's community manager. My guest today is Ethan Demi from Demi Learning. And if you tuned in thinking that you were going to hear about Demi's philosophy or their amazing products, you're in for a surprise. We are actually going to be talking with Ethan about how his homeschool journey took him into his business adventures and how his adventures have been shaped by his involvement in endurance sports and never backing down from a challenge. Ethan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So your name is a very common name in the homeschool realm, Demi Learning. We see that's your last name. So why don't you go ahead and tell us how you are involved in the company? Uh, so my current title is I'm the CEO of Demi Learning. Uh, and if you've ever used uh, the Matthew C products are, are the ones people probably most easily recognize. If you've watched any of those videos, there's a bald guy on those videos and that bald guy is my dad. Uh, so I've been in the, the homeschool world since I was born. Um, and then I was homeschooled all the way through high school, went to college, uh, and then joined the family business uh, as the marketing guy back in the old days. Uh, so I've sort of grown up in the in the homeschool world, and then I, I joined the family business and then slowly grew it and, and took over as the CEO. We've added a few more products since then, uh, but we're still continuing to help build lifelong learners and, and support families in their journey. I do wonder if those who are listening who had grown up or have used the videos for Matthew C, if they kind of feel like your dad is a little bit like their dad, too. <laughs> it's funny. You have. Uh, it's the only world where you go to a homeschool conference and you see a line of kids bring their math books to have their math teacher sign their math books. And you tell that to someone outside of the homeschool world and they just go, who who would ever want to have their math teacher sign their book? Uh, so, yeah, my dad's in the homeschool world. I always say he's a little bit of a rock star um, and makes the crowds go wild when he's on stage. <laughs> now, growing up, were you happy to share your dad with the rest of us in the homeschool world? I was. Uh, I also got to go on the road with him a lot more. So we had uh, there's four boys in our family. I'm the second oldest. Uh, and I was the one that was by nature a little more adventurous. So I like to, to go on trips. So if if my dad was going even to the hardware store, it wasn't, he would just say, I'm going, who wants to come? And I would just, I, I don't even know where you're going. I'm ready to go. Uh, so I always like to get out and travel. So I got to hit the road with him a lot more as a younger kid. Uh, and then as I still do, last couple of years, I haven't traveled as much now that I have kids. Um, but we've, we've, we've been on a lot of flights and in a lot of hotels together. Well, with all of that experience, I would love for you to share a homeschool hack with our listeners. Uh, probably the biggest homeschool hack, um, and this is one I learned from my parents, and I would say we still do, and I would say there's a two ways to do it. Um, one is just on the on the education side, when you're looking at what's the best thing for your kids is take it one semester or one year at a time. 
don't don't try to plan out the the next 15 years so the hack would be start where you are and plan the next step and do that and then figure it out the next time so what worked one year may not work the next year um even though i was homeschooled every year uh, my parents every year made the decision whether we we're going to do it again or not I love that your parents actually waited a full year. There are some times where I am day to day with my children questioning my life choices of choosing to homeschool. We had threats of if you keep this up, we're putting you in school. Um, that that was a pretty regular occurrence. Well, that's comforting because I have been known to say, get in the car. I'm driving you down to the school right now. I don't know. I'm not the only one. Some kids may look, say, finally, and, and other kids may not, not like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and when you have twins. He had one who said yes and one who started crying. So I, I could never win. I gave up trying to win. Yeah, you'll always, especially with twins. I've got a, a set of twins and you'll always lose. <laughs> well, Ethan, I think one of the biggest reasons that um, we are here today is although Demi is an amazing company, their philosophy is tested throughout the years and has turned out some amazing products. Most people don't know your story. And so we get this opportunity to talk about your story personally, and part of your passion is adventure. And so you kind of touched on that as you were a child and traveling with your father, but we're going to go a little bit further. So let's just start with what is the biggest adventure that you've had in the last two years? Last two years, I haven't had many big adventures. Um, I had sort of called my, there, there's my life pre-kids and then there's my life post-kids. So the biggest adventure is, is getting kids. So that's that's the biggest thing. So I, my wife and I were uh, foster parents for the last three years, and then this year we adopted four kids, and that's the biggest adventure. And it is a privilege, not only that you and your wife get to open up your home to four kids, but those four kids get to now be a part of your life. So that moves us right into your your idea of family adventure. So why don't you just go ahead and start talking about how you are. Um, assimilating four children into your family and what that looks like when you're trying to build in or foster a love of being adventurous. Yeah. So in our, when we sort of started down the the fostering journey, you start with big ideas of things you want to do, and then you jump into it and you're faced with the reality that every, you can't do all the things and you can't even do close to all the things. So if it's, if it's in sort of maybe in a, and I don't know what normal is. Um, I've heard it best said normal is just a setting on your washing machine. It's not really a thing in real life. Um, so this probably has application beyond my experience of being a foster parent. Um, but if you have 10 things you're trying to accomplish that are urgent, important, life-changing, important things that, that your kids need to know, and you think that, hey, maybe I'll get eight of them done. And if we push hard and everything's perfect, we'll get all 10 foster parenting is you jump in and you go on a good year, I might get three of these things done. And on everything goes off the rails, we might get one or none done at all. And you're just swimming. Um, so learning to prioritize was probably the biggest thing that I, I have learned um, when in my younger days, when I didn't have kids, I just, you know, work harder, work longer, get it done. Uh, and now I have to say, no, I have to choose not to do good things to prioritize other good things. So that's a prioritization that everyone does. And it leads into adventure because even kids and adults, we're always subconsciously prioritizing things. 
I was talking to one teacher and they go, at, at the end of the day, if the kid is going home and they don't feel safe or they're not going to have food, you really can't expect them to do well on a spelling or math test. So we prioritize in our, our normal lives. If, if, you're, if you're scared, you're not going to do well. You can't learn, which is a great one. If you're ever trying to teach a kid either homeschooling or helping with homework and you've hit that wall and there's tears and frustration, take a break just stop. Nothing's going to happen uh, after that point. And the fun part about being a foster parent is we get to write creative notes to teachers and they accept ours a lot easier. We can say, yeah, we don't do homework. That's currently not a priority. Or we spend like currently now it's where we've adopted them. We say we have 15 minutes of, of homework we're going to do. After that, we're done. Family time takes more priority than homework time. Um, and they usually do that. So it's it's learning to set those priorities. a coupon? Yeah, you want a coupon. We all love getting dollars off a purchase, right? Well, Bookshark has a coupon, especially for podcast listeners. You can get it by visiting the Bookshark website. So go to bookshark.com, of course, and then add slash podcast dash five to that URL. Again, that's bookshark.com slash podcast dash five. From there, you get a unique single-use code that gives $5 off anything at bookshark.com. Anything at all. No minimum purchase required. So yes, you could buy a single title if you like. There are so many good books on Bookshark's website, from history to science to fiction. Or you could put your $5 towards an instructor's guide, maybe a hands-on kit. You don't have to buy a full curriculum package to use this coupon. It's valid on any purchase at all. Go ahead and open a browser to bookshark.com slash podcast dash five and get your free $5 store coupon. The $5 podcast listener coupon is limited to one per household, one coupon per order. And currently we don't homeschool our kids. They're still in uh, the local public school that they were in when they were in, uh, in foster care, which is great school. Um, and we take it a year at a time. But I've often heard teachers tell me at the end of the day, every kid's homeschooled. So you can have the best school, the best curriculum, the best teachers. But it's what happens at home, the attitude that the parents, the values that the parents give to their kids and the discipline. At least half of the learning, if not more, always takes place at home. So at the end of the day, everyone homeschools their kids. Uh, that's what I say. And I heard it from a teacher. So it must be right. Yeah. So when we started to prioritize things, my wife and I, when we started, and this is a good context uh, for talking about adventure, because you really can't start adventuring until you've you've addressed some of the basic needs. So if you've studied education, you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you start with the basic physiological needs. So our plan was we start with those basic pieces and plans are great. Uh, Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> so this was the plan that we didn't always follow it, uh, but this was what we started with. So we start with attachment um, as sort of the number one rung on that ladder. Uh, kids need to feel safe. You have food, shelter, clothing, safe security, consistent routine, discipline, schedules, all those things, which at the beginning, you start with that's that's the big chunk of time. It never stops. You still always have to keep reinforcing that uh, for the rest of your life because that's that's always the number one thing. Um, but you can start to do more things. And then we started to roll in, especially with kids in care, 
they're coming from sort of sensory deprived backgrounds. So sensory input is, is a number, a really high priority piece. So you're training the brain to take in a lot of new sensations, uh, know what they are and compare them to each other. So that's why we have a sandbox and swing sets and we go out and play in the mud and we climb things and swimming. And so you can read books and learn the science of what swinging and movement does to the to your brain stem. But the main one is get as much sensory input as possible. Um, and that helps your kids start to have those contextual pieces. Um, and then we move into that next tier. We call it building an experience bank. Um, and a lot of that is you need to have a mental framework for how you engage with the world. So um, and then you also have to have a common framework. So in, in my family growing up, we watched old black and white movies. And so we but we all watched the same movies and we could quote the lines. Um, and we, you so you have all the inside jokes. So when you when you get kids and adopt kids, you have to create your own inside jokes much quicker. We didn't have eight years to create inside jokes. We had months. Um, so those are some things. So we visit the same places, read the same books over and over again, watch the same movies, all to try to build that sort of tribal knowledge. Now, was that something that came to you guys naturally, or was this something that you and your wife had to learn as you were progressing down this road? So it was, we we knew a decent amount uh, from both of our family backgrounds, uh, but also we did a lot of intentional research. Her background is she's in education, so she was a music education major. Uh, so she's taught a lot of kids, and then she taught uh, classroom as well as private lessons. And then I've read a bunch of books for work, but also planning for this. So there's a, there's a, I, I was in, I was in Germany for a homeschool conference. Uh, and I met a guy named Gordon Neufeld who wrote a book, Hold On To Your Kids. So that started me down the attachment journey of understanding how your brain works and how you attach to somebody. Um, and all of these start to go into there. So the more sensory inputs and experience, shared experiences build attachment. Um, so it's those things of, and you can look at bad ways that this happens. There's a reason that that gangs have shared experiences, and you have you have ritual hazing in in colleges. It's it's people using natural things incorrectly to build forced attachment in an unhealthy way. But you can do it in a good way. Um, so as an example of this, and this is just another little hack. So I, we like C.S. Lewis. Um, and I grew up reading C.S. Lewis. My parents read the Chronicles of Narnia to us. So we started with our kids quite didn't have the attention span to read the book yet. So we watched the movie and then we read the book out loud and then we watched the movie again. <laughs> so it's one of between the three takes. Now they now sort of, uh, cool dad moment is when one accuses the other one of you're being such an Edmund right now. Um, cause we had that shared experience, uh, and it took two times watching the movie and one time reading the book, uh, and talking about it to now it's, a uh, now it's an insult to be called Edmund in our house. We're sorry to all of the Edmonds out there. And then we have to remind that Edmund became a good person. So now we get to go to Prince Caspian and we get to learn that Edmund is now redeemed and has he's he's uh, his siblings forgave him. And now he's part of the team again. Yes. What I find so, interesting with parenting is one of the few areas in our life where I have seen 
we lack a desire to learn, to to know more and to do better. Not that parents don't want to be better parents. I think naturally we all want to be better, but I see there's a hesitation to go outside of ourselves to learn to do better. I think sometimes we are in a place as parents, we kind of either tell ourselves we should know this or we do know this. And so we kind of repeat cycles that may be unhealthy or negative instead of you and your wife had a situation where you didn't have a context for foster children. So it was natural that you would get books and you would start learning and you would educate yourself. I like to give parents permission that there is no place that says you should know how to be a good parent. So really encourage people. There's always ways to know better and do better, even in parenting, which then kind of rolls down into homeschooling. Yeah, I mean the modeling to your kids that you don't know something is is very healthy and good. Um, so when you mess up, you go, "Oh, I didn't know that. I should learn better." And then you can apologize and you can learn a new thing together. And that modeling is one of those key pieces for us. So um, one of the things that that we've worked with with kids. So we've had the current set that we adopted. But we've had other longer term placements and short term placements siblings and just friends kids because we're the we're the adventure house um so one of the things that we do pretty well and it's and it's weird if you watch us uh, is teaching kids how to play who don't naturally know how to play so if you have a sensory rich environment with a lot of attachment and a lot of um shared experiences a lot of kids will naturally they'll naturally learn how to play but if you don't have those you have to have someone teach you so the, the group home parents wa- was supervising us and we're running around a gym, playing puppies, learning to sit and roll over. And then we'd be a puppy and then the kid would be the adult. And then we'd be sitting down and barking. Uh, and then we built a little dog house out of some foam blocks and we played in that. And that, we did that for a couple hours and the kids still talk about that. So that was our first um, shared memory. But we also do the same thing when we go hiking in the woods. So Sometimes we're sword fighting and sometimes we're playing puppies and other hikers will come along the trail and see two adults and four kids running around off the trail, pretending to be chased by a dragon or or play puppies. And it's kind of weird to see a grown man and grown woman on their hands and knees, you know, walking around like a dog. But if that's what it takes to model what that play is, and now we don't do that as much. We still do it sometimes because it is fun once you learn to do it. Um, but now the kids go off on their own and they're as we, our rule is as long as you can see us, you're good. So now they go way sort of off leash and they're playing in the woods. Um, but teaching kids to play, practicing, being creative, modeling, using your imagination, using funny voices, um, sort of as the parent, you have to do all of those things. Um, so that's something my wife and I we kind of naturally do, but we took it to the next level of intentionality of we have to get down. We move teaching kids how to play with a, a car. So it starts with they're just copying you or copying what they saw someone else do until finally you can peek in the room and they're playing by themselves and then they start playing with each other. Uh, and it's fun. So once you have all of those sort of those are the four key building blocks, attachment, sensory inputs shared experiences, and then play, then you can really jump into that fifth uh, priority, which was one of our priorities, which was teaching kids how to adventure. Um, 
And this is the one that it, this is where it gets fun. Like the rest are fun, but this is, I'm an adventurer. I, I climb mountains. I, I do rock climbing. I do long distance endurance sports. So for me, an adventure is it's got to be cold, chance of hypothermia. I might die. Ropes involved. There's snow. I'm sleep deprived and there's, and I'm running out of food. Now I'm having a good time. For kids, sometimes though, the context for them is I picked up a salamander for the first time and that's blowing my mind. That's, that's their mental equivalent of climbing Mount Everest. Um, and so learning that to take that next step of adventure um, goes on that. So one of the things we do sort of is our common theme that that hits all of these is we go outside a lot. Um, and everyone says, oh, go outside because it's good to get the sunlight and get the exercise, um, which is true. And there's great programs. I love a thousand hours outside their group on Facebook. We follow them. But the real reason we do it is it helps us build attachment, sensory input, learning to play, shared experiences and adventure all at the same time. So if you want the most high profile thing you can do, that's the fastest way to learn these things is you take kids out in the woods and you carry, we start with, we carry the food and the water and their extra coats. So if they're cold or hungry or thirsty, you're the source of all of their physiological needs. So you're the only safe space that they have right there. So you sort of ramp up your attachment time. Um, but then it's one of you hike the trails and it's one you you start to practice getting off trail. Uh, this is one of last week. I took my kids to the park before school and I, I was thinking through when we first got them, we went we were on the same trail in the same park and they were wearing raincoats and had little umbrellas and they had their boots because they'd never been out in the rain before. And they were all walk, walking single file on the asphalt path. And that was like blowing their mind because they'd never experienced something like that before going out in the rain. Now it's spitting rain a little bit. We're not wearing raincoats because it's not that rainy. We're not, we're, they're just wearing their sneakers, which are muddy from the previous day. And they're not even on the trail. They're running through the trees. They're picking up pine cones. Um, they're finding little bugs and they're just having a blast. So in, in one year you can see, all right, we got here. And then I had, well, I was prepping for this podcast. I was like, how do we, how did we get there from here? Like we knew we wanted to get here. And I would say we're now a year in and they're feral kids running around the park, um, doing what kids are supposed to do. Um, and so for us, it was, uh, there's a couple key pieces and I sort of wrote down, I just talked with my wife earlier. I was like, here's our, are these the right things? And so we have some mantras that we do, but one of the big things uh, that we have to teach kids is how to identify what's safe and what's unsafe. And then the difference between that is risk. And that's hard. I've taken adults into the woods. I've taken my dad hiking, uh, ice hiking, um, and I had to teach him how to do this with uh, walking with crampons and an ice axe. And he did not listen uh, to my instruction very well and fell and hurt his knee because he was joking around and he didn't learn how to be safe. So we learn what safe is. And that's so if it's, if my kids on a they stand up and they start walking across a fallen down tree, it's do you think that's safe? What you know, like being on the ground is safe walking on a fallen tree it's safe for me, but it might not be safe for you. So then we say, well, what could happen? What's the worst that could happen? Well, you could fall. 
where could you fall? If you fall on the ground, you're fine. If you fall on a stick, you might hurt your arm. If you fall on a pointy stick, you might start bleeding. Um, what if the tree's hanging over a, a ravine and there's a it's like 10 feet down? Well, now you could fall and you could sprain your ankle. You might break a bone. You're not going to die. And so you talk through those with your kids. And then we always say, rather than say, don't do this or do this. So you start to shift that decision making to them and you teach them to make that decision. And you, so we say only do what you feel is safe. So once they know what safe is, we start with only do what you feel is safe. Has that ever backfired? So far it hasn't. It depends on what you mean by backfired. Uh, You can't learn to have adventures without getting hurt. Like it's a, a prerequisite is you, you have to accept the right amount of damage. So I've had, so one of my kids is much more naturally adventurous, but also doesn't understand what safe is very well. And then I've got another, his brother is, he is naturally not adventurous and wants to be safe all the time. So I have both of those. So we were, we were learning to whittle uh, two days ago. So I finally got knives. They don't get to carry them around. Um, but so they're used under supervision, but we're now starting to whittle with knives. So I only got, so three of the kids did great. Uh, one of them cut himself twice, but they were mild cuts and they healed within a day. They weren't big, deep gashes, um, but he's the one who pushes a little harder. And so for him, he has to, he's a, I call it, he needs to learn the hard way, which is how I learned growing up. Mm -hmm. So he needs to cut himself a few times to learn that the knife is sharp. His brother will never probably cut himself at all. Yeah. Because he will learn by looking at his sibling getting hurt. So there's, it, it is a little different. And then our other mantra is don't climb up something you can't climb down. Mm. Uh, so my kids like to climb trees and they start with like little trees. And now they're finally at the point of, they've now done quite a few things that make, and I'm a pretty lenient, adventurous parent of, I call it, I'm comfortable up to an ER room visit, handling most of that stuff. But they now do a couple things where I'm like, all right, that's a little sketchy. Um, <laughs> I looked over the other day. So we have, I built a rock climbing wall on our playground set. So I started with a small eight foot tall rock climbing wall um, with a pad underneath. And then I moved it to this year. I re- we The kids helped me rebuild it. So we built a new one, painted it, put rocks on it. And now it's 10 feet tall. And so Bo, my adventurous one, he had pulled the the small trampoline over underneath the rock climbing wall. I'm mowing, I'm uh, I'm doing some home projects so I can see it. And I go, I know what he's gonna do. <laughs> he might get hurt. Um, but he's adventurous enough now and he knows what safe and unsafe is. So I was like, all right. And I'm I'm kind of hoping he gets hurt to the point of like. He might, maybe a mild bone break would be really beneficial for him to learn right about now. He needs like a cast for a week to really imprint that in his brain that he might get really hurt. He has not had a bad injury yet. So I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh, this might be the moment. And Giovanni's helping push the uh, the trampoline over. He climbs 10 feet up on this wall and then balances. Uh, and I have, there's a, there's a protective net around the trampoline and he looks around and jumps lands it nails it gets up he's grinning from ear to ear and he looks at me and he goes uh oh am i in trouble and i go that looked fun 
as long as you feel safe, go for it. And then he did it a couple more times. Now his brother was never going to do that. If he had, but if he had climbed up there, I also would have probably jumped in and said, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. So there's some peer pressure that's going to impact the kids, but that's sort of the, so rock climbing is one. And we've done this at, we go to rock climbing gyms or we'll actually rock climb outside. Uh, So, but it's teaching kids to trust a rope. Uh, Going back to attachment, rock climbing we found is probably one, and they now have, you can get prescribed rock climbing therapy in different countries in Europe now Mm. uh, as a, as an actual therapy. Uh, because it does really cool things with your brain. So you're you're constantly competing with only yourself. You have to trust the person at the end of the rope to hold you. You have to trust the rope and you have to trust your own skills. So you ramp up your attachment build um, and there's nothing like seeing kids climb and each time they climb a little bit higher and a little bit higher. Um, and now at the climbing gym, my kids are going all the way to the top and they're just having a blast and they're jumping off. But the first couple of times we went, they climbed four feet and were shaking and you had to hold them, um, and talk them through it. Um, so it's, you start with where are they at and you take, what's the next thing that pushes them a little bit, not so much that they shut down or get scared, but right to the point where they start to feel scary. There's a and I've read some research on this, but if if your brain, if you can train your brain to go into fight or flight mode and then out of it hmm. repeatedly and in a controlled manner, when your kid does have a freak out, they now know that they could calm themselves down. So especially when you've got kids who have trauma in their background, you get the freak outs. So one of the best ways to teach someone to when when someone's freaking out, you we say take a couple deep breaths, but we know that they're not going to. We're just reminding them of the fact that they could do that, but they're they're really just freaking out right now. Um, but when you when adventure happens, what you're doing is you're taking your brain into fight or flight mode. You're staying there for a little bit, and then you're coming out of it in a safe, controlled manner. So you're learning to teach yourself that it's okay to th- be scared. And you're in control and can stop being scared. Um, and it's a really fascinating thing to watch kids develop that skill because they take that and you can only learn that by doing adventure and you can now apply it to you're doing homework and you're reading and your kid starts to freak out and they go into fight or flight mode and you can then you can see them start to take some deep breaths and then pull themselves out of it. So when you see your kid finally start to self-regulate, then it's sort of proud parent moment doesn't happen often yet, but we're, we're, I'm starting to see it. It's like, oh, I can see it's cool. Well, I also read that um, your body's reaction to anxiety is the exact same physiological reaction as excitement. It's how your brain is interpreting it. So when my girls tend to get anxious about either a new adventure or they want to step out and be a risk taker, but they start to feel that anxiety about it, I really like to encourage them that you just need to tell your brain that you're actually excited. It's just the messaging is just getting a little wonky for you, but it is actually the exact same feeling. It is just how their brain at the time is interpreting it. And it doesn't always work, but it has worked in some instances. Yeah. And it's, that goes back to the sensory inputs. Um, so I was sort of the weird hippie kid in college and I, I, I started going barefoot. So I went barefoot for a whole year 
even in the winter, um, hiking, getting kicked out of stores. It was, it was, I went through that phase. And so going barefoot is one of those ones of if you study and there's a whole bunch of benefits to it as a runner, you can do some cool things. But the most interesting thing is you have the same amount of nerve endings on your hands as you do on your feet. And if you get down and you put your hands on the ground, you don't freak out. But when you first take your your shoes and socks off and you walk across gravel, it feels like pain. But it's actually just sensory overload. And after about one week of walking on gravel, you will not grow any more calluses in that time period. But your brain will now learn to interpret those sensory inputs as gravel. So if you put your hands down on gravel and put pressure on it, it might feel uncomfortable, but it won't hurt. Um, like your, but you have to, so it's, you have to introduce a new experience and teach the brain to understand it. So yeah, I've got some high anxiety kids, but you have to start by introducing, introducing anxiety in a controlled way and then teaching their brains to interpret it as excitement or channel that feeling into being more focused, um, yeah, so anxiety, all of these things are you're basically going in and out of an uncontrolled state in a controlled way. So you're going right up to the edge where you feel unsafe and then and then take a step back. So so it's identify what's safe and unsafe, go right up to the edge, one step further and then and then back. I would think that's a skill that a lot of adults do not possess. Uh, this is true. I would say I've, I've learned at least as much, if not probably a lot more parenting kids and helping them do this than I have myself. So it's I see I see them doing things sort of an exaggerated way. And I'm like, I do the same thing. I still freak out at work. I just hide it differently. I, mm-hmm. I cope with it in a way that's different. Um, it's like when we're rock climbing with kids. We don't start with the goal is to get to the top. The goal is go up as high as you feel safe. And then once they get there, I always try to encourage them now reach one block higher Mm -hmm. and then I'll bring you down. So I take them right up to where they feel unsafe. And then I try to take them. All I want is one more. Then they do that. And then they come back down. And then the next time they go up to that one more and then we do one more again. And it's uh, and then finally, sometimes it takes doing that. 15 times sometimes it takes doing it twice like my youngest daughter she just did that once and then she went right to the top because she doesn't have any fear that's a, that's <laughs> that, a whole that's, other that's a whole nother podcast how to teach you yeah it's interesting because um as i'm listening to you talk i'm thinking about the own adventures i've had with my family and um i may be known to getting us lost on our hiking trips and so i have built distrust in my children so when i say we're going to go for a family hike they always want to know have i printed out or screenshot the trail do i know how long it is and did i pack enough stuff for it and so it's kind of this reverse and at one point i thought i traumatized them so much that they were never going to take a hike with me again but thankfully that is not the case but in order for them to to trust me enough to venture with me i have to be able to answer those questions for them now well the kids also know so i've been known to take some shortcuts um on hiking trails because i've got my map and i pretty good with directions but i also been known to say if we just cut through the woods here we can get to the trail and my wife's been on many of those shortcuts with me and she is uh 
she doesn't have a lot of trust for my shortcut skills. Uh, but I always say shortcuts are just adventures that we haven't had yet. Um, sometimes we end up at a cliff and it's a little dangerous to climb down or I've had to I've had to toss kids across a river. Um, you know, it's it, it's fun. But now we have those those become discussion points of if I suggest a shortcut, then we can argue about or discuss, should we take the shortcut? And the kids can help make that decision. So then we can vote. Um, and when we vote as a family, the uh, the parents votes always if we vote, if the parents vote together, then we always win. Uh, we do rank voting. Yes. Well, as it should be. Ethan, this has been a really fun um, way to get to know you and to learn a little bit more about your adventurous background, but great information for parents who, you know, maybe they don't have foster children. Maybe it's their um, organic family or they have blended families and they have some personalities that maybe just aren't as adventurous as they would like. These have been great ideas and tools to get maybe not even only their kids, but they themselves as the adults to start thinking about how they can get outside to be a little bit more adventurous, how they can use that as educational tool to help their children in their learning. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's my goal. I'd love to have, you have to get out there as if you've ever watched the magic school bus, you've got to, you know, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. Um, and the best way for your kids to learn how to do that is to watch you do it. So you've got to sort of adventure together. And when you adventure together, you're going to build some great memories. Um, some of them are are type two fun where it's only fun after the fact. Um, but you're going to have some fun times and you're going to build really, really strong bonds very quickly. If you start getting outside, get off the trail and have some small adventures. Well, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homeschool Your Way, a podcast by Bookshark. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening now so you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you have questions you'd like the hosts to answer or have any feedback about the podcast, please visit bookshark.com slash podcast to leave your comments. Or you can simply email podcast at bookshark.com.